long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. You see, though, the first fruit of the Spirit is love. And I really believe when you have the Holy Spirit filling your life and ruling and reigning in your life and in your heart, you'll have all the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't come in in dribs and drabs. You'll have all the fruit of the Spirit. But the first fruit is love. Faith, hope, and charity. The greatest of these three is charity. And that's Christian love. You know, love is, is deeper than we could possibly imagine. pastor preached a great message last week, didn't he? But you know, he would tell you himself, he barely touched the hem of the garment. How can we know all about the love of God in just a couple messages? We need to read our Bibles and live it out as best we can every day. But most importantly, love is something to be shown and not just spoken of. It's not just to be talked about. Love is what God is, not just a character trait that he has, but it's just natural for God. God is love. Don't you wish you were, you were love? You were just, everything that you did emanated out of love. That's who God is. You know, there was a woman named Corey Ten Boom. You may have seen the, uh, the Hiding Place, the movie that we have back there on the DVD. She was a Dutch woman living in Holland during the war, World War II. And she took in Jews to hide them in her house and try to get them out of, uh, out of the place where they were in harm's way, actually. And she was, uh, their family was done in. They were told on by some people, and uh, they had to go into the concentration camps. She lost her sister Elizabeth, her father, and I believe her brother even died in the concentration camps. Uh, but you know, she was finally released, and it was all by accident that she finally was released from the prison camp. Somehow the numbers got juggled, and Corey Ten Boom was let out of, out of the uh, prison camp, alive, obviously. And she said this, she said, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Isn't that wonderful to know that no matter what you're going through, no matter how bad it gets, if you just step back and take a look at the world out there, it's pretty bad. Guess what? God's love is deeper than that. God's love is deeper still. So there's none of this in here that can say, my life is so bad. God doesn't care anymore. Oh, yes, he does. This woman came out of a concentration camp. And, you know, her release was an accident. No, it wasn't. God brought her out and she told her story Till late, late years in her life, she continued to go around and tell people of the love of God. You know, there are two foundational truths about who God is. One is He is holy. He is a holy God. Now, we find that hard to believe just how holy God is. Someday we'll see it. Someday we'll really know. When we shed this sinful carcass that we walk around in, we'll finally know what it means to be holy. Like he is holy. But his holiness hates sin. He hates it. And, uh, and he must judge it. And that's why we have the cross. But he's also love. God is love. And his love brings forth mercy. And compassion. And grace. And that's why we have Jesus. Dying on the cross. God says I am holy. And Jesus said I'll die in your place. Because I love. For God so loved the world. You know. There's a lot of types, many types of expressions of love. It's an English word, obviously, for us, and it's generic. So when we read our Bibles, God always puts it in context and tells us what kind of love he's talking about. If the Pharisees loved the uppermost seats when they were because of their pride and they wanted to show off about who they were and their religious piety, they loved the uppermost seats. That's not the same as for God so loved the world. You see, they're two different kind of loves. And you can tell by the context. Leo loves Pat. Right, Leo? Right, Pat. Leo <laughs> loves Pat. And he has to say that. But Leo loves Pat. But Pat loves her grandchildren. Now, I know you love Leo, too. <laughs> Pat loves her grandchildren. And her grandchildren love ice cream. <laughs> three different kinds of love there, you see? They're not all the same. And on and on it could go. There is a brotherly love 
There's that fondness for somebody or an affection for someone. There's intimate love. And there's charity or God's sacrificial love. Now, what is the meaning of the highest form of love? What is the meaning of this charity, this charitable love? Greater love hath no man than this, that he man lay down his life for his friends. Right? John 15, 13. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So what is the meaning of that highest form of love? Love, it's best that I could put together some words. Love is an act of someone giving willingly and expressly for the benefit of the object of their affections. Without thought of the cost to themselves. I'm hoping that kind of encapsulates everything about what Jesus did on the cross. Love is an act of someone giving willingly. No one took his life. He gave his life on Calvary. No one took it from them. And expressly for the benefit of the object of their affections. God so loved the world. And he cost him his life without thought of the cost of themselves. What are affections? Colossians talks about set your affections on things above. That means set your thoughts and those things that you put great value and high price upon. Set your affections on those things. Guess what God set his affection on? Us. He set his affection on a dirty, rotten sinner. That's who God loves. God gave his own son expressly for the benefit of the object of his affections. You and I. Without thought of the sacrifice that it would take. Calvary. He loves us. And Jesus paid the ultimate price. God has love. God has love and shows love because he is love. It's in his very nature. Now I'd ask you the question, do you love God? Do you love God this morning? Let's go back to the definition. Do you love God? An act of someone giving willingly and expressly for the benefit of the object of their affections without thought of the cost of themselves. Do we love God the way He loves us? He wants us to. To love God is to give Him your life completely and without reservation. It isn't that Jesus did, it isn't that what Jesus did for us in the most grand way at Calvary. He showed who he loved and he set his affections on. God's love is only seen in us when the Holy Spirit is producing that fruit in our lives. That will only happen when, when Jesus Christ is sitting on the throne of my heart. When he truly has all of me. Not just a little bit of me, he has all of me. When he comes in and folds us, we get all of the Holy Spirit. We don't get pieces and dribs and drabs. We get the entire fruit of the Spirit. And love is the foundational fruit of the Spirit. I'm not going to tie anybody up. But Gavin, come on up here. I'm not going to tie them up. I just want something to hold this up. Can you stand over here? And can you hold that up? Are you holding it? I want you to really hold it. That's why I chose you. But there's nine fruits of the Spirit. But, you know, the first fruit is love, right? And the second fruit is joy. And the next fruit is peace. Peace, right? And the next one? Long good for you. I'm not going to get all mine on there, as you can see. And the next one? Gentleness and goodness. And it goes on and on. Here's what I believe. Hold up. The fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, are all these different knots. But what do they hang on? Love. Friend, if you have God ruling and reigning in your life and sitting on the throne of your heart, the first thing that you'll have is love. You'll have a love for lost sinners. You'll have a love for even your spouse who just treats you wrong and, and, and does things that are wrong or your children. You say, I have love for them. Do you have love like God has for them? It starts with this foundational, foundational fruit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, temperance. All the other ones hang on love. Thanks, folks. You did good. 
I don't think it's by any accident that God said, but the fruit of the Spirit is joy. No. Love. We have to get a hold of that. And that love is different than the world's love. Turn to 1 John, if you would. 1 John. John chapter 2, in verse 15, the Bible says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. And he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. We are told not to love like the world loves. Don't love the world. The world loves the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We are to love, not the world. If we do, the love of the Father is not in us. You can't love both. God will not take divided love. God wants it all or nothing. He's a jealous God. He wants all of your heart, not a piece of it. This isn't a pie that you carve up. It's a bullseye where God is the center of your life. Do you love God? The world's love is perverted. It is godless and selfish. It's not charitable and it doesn't honor God. And the first thing is the lust of the eyes. Covetousness. I gotta have more. I want that. I need these things. More. We're never satisfied. Turn over to Luke chapter 12. Christian, that's the way the world loves. It shouldn't be the way we love. Because God doesn't call it love. He calls it lust. It's covetousness. It's an overreaching desire for something that God didn't even, maybe didn't even want you to have. Look in Luke chapter 12, in verse 13. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Where's his focus? On the money, the inheritance. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? Who said that I should come and divide your inheritance? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, because that's what was just displayed to Jesus, covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a rich man brought forth plentifully. Now listen, look at all the eyes in this, in this uh, following, these pronouns of I in these next few verses. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and I will build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul. Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I wonder if you're here this morning and all you're concerned about is the things that you have and the things that you want. Because someday... You're going to hear, you fool. Tonight your soul is required of you, and you're not ready to meet God. And it doesn't matter who you are and how much you have or how little you have. If you have a love of money, if you're covetous, and you're not concerned about your relationship with God, and all you're concerned about is how much you can gain from this world, you're a fool. Someday your soul will be required of you. And God doesn't care how much money you have. Covetousness. For the Christian, it's a love of money and wealth and things and possessions. And we can get caught up in it. We all do. We get caught up in that sometimes. The world loves things, but it doesn't love God. And not one thing that's in the world, all that the world is, the, the government and the system and the pleasures and the, and the fads and the, and the fashions of the world, none of that loves you. None of it, but God does. God loves us. 
It's never enough, never content. You know, even great Abraham had everything. And God was blessing him. And when he was at Bethel, he was doing just fine. But then a famine came in the land. And without consoling God, he went down to Egypt. And things turned for the worst. He lied about his wife, Sarah, to Pharaoh. And uh, he came back with Hagar. And you know what else he missed most of all? Because he was concerned about all that he had. And he said, I can't stay here. There's a famine. Let's go down to Egypt where there's food. God didn't tell him to go down there. You know, it's better to be poor with Christ than rich without him. You know, we really don't know that. But I'm saying it's better that we be poor with Christ than rich without him. Abraham lost two big things when he went down into Egypt. He didn't build any altars, and he lost fellowship with God. Because Abraham was concerned about, and rightly so, I guess, his family. And, but he was looking at all that he had, and he said, I can't stay here. But God didn't tell him to leave. And when he came back is when he built his altars again in Bethel. Be careful. Be careful when you, your focus is on providing and, and, and things that you have and making sure you don't lose any of it and you forget about God who's able to keep all that and give you whatever you need, not just what you want. Because the moment our focus changes and our affection is on the lust of the eyes, the moment that changes, well, we can find ourselves not kneeling in our altar and we lose fellowship with God. That's the lust of the, the, lust of the eyes. That's the world's love. But then there's the the lust of the flesh. Back in 1 John chapter 2, it tells us there's the lust of the flesh. The world is full of lust. You can't get away from it. It's everywhere. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4 says, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. Marriage is honorable in all. In all facets of marriage, it's like a diamond. You hold it up and you, and you turn it. Every way you look at marriage, it's honorable to God. Because God instituted it. The world didn't. God's the one that instituted marriage. It's His institution. And when you hold up marriage, it's honorable in all things. And then God goes into the bedroom. It's undefiled. But whoremongers... And adulterers, God will judge. They're not getting away with anything. Any sexual relations outside of the marriage bed is fornication. That's an umbrella word for adultery and all those other things and pornography. Stuff it all in there. It's fornication. That means when David saw, looked on Bathsheba, before he ever took her, he was fornicating. He was looking on somebody who was not his wife. And then he went even farther and became an adulterer. That means that the sodomites and the lesbians cannot legitimize their sin. They can't. Because marriage is between male and female. So no matter how well you want to twist it, no matter how the world brings their policies, even in Ireland or America, it doesn't matter. God didn't change. It's a husband and a wife. You can call it marriage, but God calls it an abomination. You can't legitimize your sin. Eric, would you look up Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22? Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22. See, God, when God looks at it, God hates it. God detests it. What does it say in uh, Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22? Nice and loud. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. Who's talking to us? God. You say, that's oh, the God of the Old Testament. Man, he is replete in the New Testament telling us that this is wrong. Turn to Romans chapter 1. Someday they're going to come in and lock up the preacher that talks about this. I tell you that right now. It's coming. I really don't want to be the example, but hey, it's, it's in God's word, and we're going to preach it. Amen. Because that's what God told us to do. 
But in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, I am not being harsh, by the way. Let me say, let me preface all this. Let me tell you who hurts the, hurts the most from all the stuff that's going on in this world today. God. He's the one that sent his son to the cross. Not anybody making policy for Ireland or America or any other nation. God is the one that hurts and is grieved by it. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who hold the truth and unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. It's manifest in them. They know. For God has shown it unto them. The law is written in their hearts, my friend. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power in God is, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And changed the glory of God, the glory of the uncorruptible God, into an image that was made like unto corruptible man, and to, and to birds, and to four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. You know, there's only so far you can go with God, and he just backs away. Through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor, dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie. And worship the creature and serve the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up to vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Mark that down. Against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the nature, natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemly. And receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meet or fitting. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, Boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without the understanding, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affections, implacable, that means not able to please them, unmerciful, who knowing, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. You think God isn't against Sodomy? And lesbianism, of course he is. It's unnatural. It's unnatural. That means it's against nature. We're all adults here. We understand. It's not natural. It's vile. That means it's shameful and disgraceful. Affections. It's called vile affections. Dishonoring their own bodies. Reprobate minds. God turned them over to a reprobate mind. That means it was just abandoned to sin. Whatever they could think of, God said, go ahead. I'm leaving you to it. They are absolutely void of any judgment. And they do whatever they want to do. Look, even when they knew the judgment of God, they still went and did it. Now look. Eric, why don't you come on up here? And uh, Kathy, would you come up? I'm not going to tie anybody up again. We're worried. Come on up here. I just want to. You know, last week, Pastor, I think it was maybe grabbed Leo, and he gave him a hug. Now, I, how many times we don't see each other for a long time? I say, Eric, it's so good to see you, brother. And he gives me that man. He gives me a couple slaps on the back. That's like a, that's like a Jonathan and a David, you know? That's, that's brotherly love. But if my sons were here, Paul or Danny was here, and they were standing in front of me. When I saw them down in Hawaii, I grabbed him, and I hugged him, and I kissed him. He's my son. That's another level of affection. It's a whole other level of affection. Eric isn't getting any of this. It's vile. It's dishonoring to our bodies. 
But this is honorable. This is good. This is my wife. She has this. You're threatening over there, All I'm saying is that what you just saw was all natural, it was all good, and it was all holy. There's different levels of affection. We just don't do that because even though we have sinful hearts also, there's places we just can't go. God says you're going to be judged. You know, homosexual suicide. And by the way, when I say things, it breaks my heart. Because I don't know what door I'm knocking on in the crew, where that person's at, or wherever I go and give out a track. I don't know who that person is. I don't know where they're coming from in their background. I just want them to know that God loves them. And that Jesus died on the cross for them. You know, homosexual men in Scotland are eight times more likely to take their life. Suicide. And the leading cause of death for homosexual men under 40 is suicide. That's sad, isn't it? What drives that? I had to think about it, and I didn't go to any polls or Google it. Or, I just thought, what could possibly drive that? And I thought, despair. There has to be a disconnect so great, so far away from God, that they just feel this emptiness inside, despair and hopelessness. And they continue down that road thinking maybe they're going to get a little bit of love or something. It's not. It's all lust. It's farther and farther from God because there's no God, there's no truth, then there's no love. And then they turn to suicide. And they spend an eternity in hell. I'm just saying, that's the lust of the flesh. The, world's, the world says sodomites. And by the way, the word sodomy comes from Sodom, the city of Sodom. But the word sodomy means a, a, a crime against nature. That's what it means. It's a crime against nature. It's unnatural. So it's a crime. So sodomites are people who, who are, have committed crimes against nature. It's a Bible word. So we shouldn't... Why does he keep saying sodomite? Because it's a Bible word. But they say they love each other. No. No, they don't. They can't love each other. It's, God calls it an abomination. How could they love each other? They think they do, but God is right, and they're wrong. It's unholy, it's unnatural, it's unseemly, and the truth is that these couplings are nothing but vile affection. But that's the love of the world. It's out there, and Christians should steer clear of it. And then there's the pride of life. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3. The pride of life. Self. Me. Second Timothy chapter 3. Says this. This know also that in the last days, and I believe we're in those last days, Perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. I'm not even going to read the rest of the list. It's there. But the first thing is, men shall not be lovers of God, lovers of their own selves. And that's why I put the Titanic up there. Unsinkable. It's at the bottom of the ocean. Unsinkable. How many times have we said, I know better? The world says, I know better. I know what to do. I'm okay. I'm standing up, I'm going to hold on to my religion, I'm alright. The whole world out there is self-narcissistic, it's about me. Perilous times, not good times. In these days, it's perilous times, that means dangerous, hazardous. We live in dangerous times. People are consumed with themselves. They worship themselves, like gods. They worship themselves. People are consumed with taking selfies. We've all done it, but I mean, some people are actually consumed with it. That's all they do is take pictures of themselves all day. They got sticks now. Look at me in this picture. Six selfie sticks. They, they fall off the cliffs taking selfies, didn't they? Some man actually was. They fall off the cliff, killed himself. We're consumed with ourselves. That's the pride of life. I was saying before about texting. When you text somebody and you wait 30 seconds, where are they? 
are they doing? Don't they know that I just texted them? Let's go. Respond. But when you get a text, it's like, oh, what do you think? I'm supposed to respond right away? What do I just jump up because Eric texted me. <laughs> but, if, right? but if I text Eric, what is he doing? That's all about us. Oh, we're self-seeking. We're self-indulgent. We're self-gratifying because we love ourselves. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. We can fall into that trap very easily. In Philippians 4 5, says this, Let your moderation be known unto all men. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. At any moment he could come back. How are you living your life? Is there any temperance? Any moderation? Moderation means restraint. Not caught up in this way of life. Temperance is a life under the control of God. You know, Adam and Eve were the first ones to follow this. Ye shall be as gods. And the whole world fell into sin because they thought they could know what God knows and be just like Him. The devil tried to do it with, with Jesus, didn't he? Cast yourself down off the temple because we know what Psalm 91 says. They'll bury you up and you'll not dash your foot against the stone. Jesus says, you don't tempt God. The devil keeps working on us, trying to get us to be like the world and have the pride of life. But there is no love of God in any of this. This love is against God. It's lust. God says this is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. But God is the most effective. Because people say God doesn't care. Oh, yes, he does. He certainly does care. More than we ever could. God is love. And eternal. And his love is eternal, just like he is. Now, Turn to Gen Most of these are going to be right in line. So turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. We'll just read a verse. And Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21. Sometimes we find it doesn't say love, but love is there. Genesis chapter 3, 21, we know what Adam and Eve did. And it says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. So what did God do when they, when they sinned and they were hiding and trying to hide their own, their own uh, nakedness with, with fig leaves? And God, instead of killing them, killed a couple innocent lambs. And we have the whole type going through, through the entire Bible of the Lamb of God that was to come and shed his own blood to hide our sins and cover our sins. But God didn't kill Adam and Eve. Why do you think that is? He loved them. He loved his creation. He loved them more than sheep. God loves man. Jesus died on the cross for men and women and boys and girls. He didn't die for animals. So he killed, he slew these innocent lambs and shed their blood because God loved man and we made in his image. But the world loves animals instead of each other. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, right across the page or just down a few verses. And I will put enmity, God's speaking to the serpent, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. In this verse, three chapters in, we have the forecast, the prediction of the Savior that was to come. He, he's forecasting the arrival of a Savior to come. Jesus is the seed of the woman that would bruise the serpent's head at Calvary. And his heel was bruised. But where do we get the victory? At the cross. That's where we get the victory. Why? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. Genesis chapter 6 and in verse 8. God had had it up to here, as a mother or father might say. I've had it up to here with you. And God said, I've had it up to here. <laughs> up to here. Gina said here. <laughs> Even my mind's gone. God said, I've had enough. And I'm going to destroy this world and every living, breathing thing. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord in Genesis 6 8. Sorry, I was putting them up there. But so God. He provided an ark for no one in his family. Why? Because he loved them. He loved them. 
Now look, Noah preached while he was building. So a lot of people had the opportunity to get on the ark. Why? Because God loved them too. They could have got on the ark. Well, the animals did. God brought them in. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and so could those people if they would have repented of their sins. Because God loves the world. Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. Abraham and Isaac. In verse 1 it says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering <laughs> upon one of the mountains, which I will tell of thee. Tell thee of. And then it goes on a few verses and look down in verse 10. They're up there and, and Isaac is bound and he's on the altar. And in verse 10, and Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou any, anything to, unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son thine only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram, caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering for the, in the stead of his son. So God provided a lamb for Abraham. Why? Because God loved Abraham and Isaac. Abraham loved his son, but he was willing to obey and follow what God had told him. And God said, I'll provide, that he would provide himself a lamb. And Abraham knew that. But God provided that ram in the thicket because he loved them. Sometimes we don't read into that and understand how much God loves us. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Remember, all the things that come into our life and God allows and God does is all based on the fact that God is love. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 6. Talking about Israel. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you because ye were more in number than any people. For ye were the fewest of all people but because the Lord loved you. But because the Lord loved you. Why is Israel the promise of the, uh, the chosen people? Because God loved them. He set His love upon them. And he, out of the Jewish people, we get a Savior and a Bible. Because God loved them. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world. We know that. And He gave His only begotten Son. And Jesus Christ is the personification of God's love. God gave because God is love. That's what love does. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husband, love your wife, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Christ loves you and me. We are the church. Not the walls, not the mortar and plaster. We are the church. And Christ loved us. That's God's love. From the beginning of time, even until now, God's love is all through the ages. But a world without love, is coming, I believe. There'll be a time when we even see it now, there'll be no natural affection whatsoever. Love will grow cold. All those ties of love will be broken. The world doesn't believe in God. He doesn't exist. They refuse to be accountable unto Him. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. He's trying to avoid being accountable to a holy God. But he's still there. God is there. We've seen the, the perverted things that go on in the world and what they call love. But if there's no God, there's no love. So they can't have it both ways because God is love. But there is still love in the world today. Today. But the hour's coming when there'll be no love. What is a world without love? That day is coming. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
think it's bad now. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind, nor be troubled, neither in spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as at the day of Christ is at hand. And it was, but he said, Don't be troubled. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. I believe we're in the time of the falling away, but we haven't seen the Antichrist yet. And you're not going to see him until we're out of this world. So let's go on. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And that will happen three and a half years into the tribulation. The Antichrist will sit on the throne, the mercy seat, and claim to be God, and defile the temple. Verse 5, Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now you know that with what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. There's something restraining the Antichrist to come. We haven't had the rapture yet. There's something still restraining, that he might be revealed in his time. Verse 7, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. So there's someone, a person, that is withholding, holding back the Antichrist. That's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of every Christian. Okay? So we are the restraining factor, the church in the world today. Because God effectively is working for you and I to provide any light or any salt or any love in this world today. is through his church. That doesn't restrain God. That doesn't tie his hands. God can do whatever he wants to do apart from being inside of Eric or Gavin or me or whoever. And he can, but he wants to use us. We're the salt. We're the light. We're supposed to be loving the world the way Jesus loves the world. And that's the, that's the restraining influence. You see it? Only he will now let it. That's an old English word that means prevent, restrain, hinder. That's us. We're still hindering the work of the Antichrist. Verse 8. And then shall that wicked be revealed. When we are taken out, that's the rapture. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him, the Antichrist, whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion, and they shall believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The Holy Spirit is effectively taken out of this world at the rapture. If that happens now, I hope there would all be empty seats here. I hope all the clothes would just be sitting there and we're gone. But I wonder, though, if we heard the trumpet and we heard, come up hither, children, the voice of the archangel, I wonder if you would go up. I wonder if you're ready to meet God. Because if not, shortly thereafter, the tribulation will begin. And there'll be no love in this world. All those ties will be broken. Because the love of Christ in the Christian is now gone. You talk about lawlessness. You talk about no restraint. You talk about wickedness. And then God says, finally had enough of it. He brings his judgment with the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments. No love in the world anymore. When Christians are raptured, the Holy Spirit and His work in us and through us will also be removed. It'll be seven years of no love. I don't want to be there. I'm not going to be there. I hope you're not going to be there. But that's what we're here for. We are the restraining influence. When God says, bring them home. And Jesus comes back in the air and receives us up, up, into, us up into Himself 
He's taking the love of the Holy Spirit out of this world. It's gone. It just tells me, what are you doing, Dan? How are you being salt and light and loving this world? Because that's the reason I'm here. I'm part of the restraining influence of God to hold back the Antichrist. It's not time yet. Apparently, there's some people that need to be saved. They're on your block. They're in your family. You know them. And God loves them. Whatever, whatever effect we did have will be gone when we are raptured. I don't think you'll be praying for your lost loved ones anymore. You won't be knocking on any more doors. It'll all be over. The love of the Holy Spirit in us is going to be taken out of this world. We carry with us every day the love of God inside of us like a vessel. Are we not exhorted to be living epistles in was it first or second, second Corinthians 3 2? To be read of all men? Shouldn't people be able to look at our lives and say, that's what it means to be a Christian? We don't have to imagine what the world will be like. The Bible's very clear. It's a whole other servant. The great tribulation, Jacob's trouble, Israel will be a cup of trembling as it is right now to the world. All the focus is on all over the world and ISIS and all that. Go to Jerusalem. That's the center of it all. Jerusalem, the Jew. It's a couple trembling to the world. Wars and famines, pestilences, antichrist, false prophets, God's judgment, devastating catastrophes. Billions will be killed. No love. That's a world without love. Our world needs love. So where is the love of God today? The world needs love today, not tomorrow. It needs the love today. The better question might be, where is God in the world today? Where is God in the world today? Because when we find God, we'll find love. People don't need us. Gavin and I were out in McCroom. The people at those doors didn't need us. They needed the message that we carried. They needed Jesus Christ. They needed a Savior. They needed the Bible. They needed the Gospel. That's what they needed. We're just vessels carrying that. They need God. Then they'll find the love of God. Point people to Jesus. The Bible and the Gospel. The world knows nothing of this godly love. They know nothing about it. But it rests in the heart of every Christian here. We have it in us. And if you're born of God, as the, as the memory verse is, you're born of God, that love is present with you and in you. It's not our love. It's God's love. The world doesn't read the Bible. Did you read the Bible before you got saved? Raise your hand if you read the Bible before you got saved. All right, a couple people did read the Bible before they got saved. 99% of the people in this room never read the Bible. And when you knock on the door, you talk to someone, I guarantee you, you can blow the dust off of their Bible. They're not reading the Bible. How many people, well, I don't know, this is Catholic Ireland, how many people went to church before they were saved? Obviously, a lot of people did. I never darkened the door of the church. Why would I want to go to church? I didn't care. They don't know. The world doesn't know. I didn't know but there was a vessel that lived across the street and his name was John Mitchell this Baptist preacher and he was full of the love of God and he brought it to my house and he told it to me otherwise I wouldn't be here God used him to tell me about Christ but God commended his love toward us and while we were yet sinners Christ died for us he had to tell me that and that's the verse that gripped my heart Turn to 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, the last scripture we're going to look at here. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. First John 4, 10 says, Here in his love, not that we love God, that he loved us, he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That God would send his own son to be my sacrifice, my full payment. 
He paid for my sins. That's the love of God. And they go together, Romans 5, 8 and 1 John 4, 10. He showed how much he loved us. I wonder how much you're showing this world, how much God loves them. See, the world doesn't appreciate, for the most part, nor understand God's love toward them, apart from our testimony. As I said, the few people we were able to talk to yesterday in McCroom, I know they've never heard that before. They may have heard it, but they didn't hear it from two people who were saved and know that love and have that love in them. Maybe they did. We're nothing special, but we were just trying to convey that God loved them and that Jesus died on the cross for them. They don't understand that. They, no one's ever explained it to them. The world will experience the love of God as it experiences you. I don't know any other way to say it. I didn't read my Bible. People aren't out there reading their Bible trying to find out if God loves them. They're going to find out when we tell them. When we go out into this world. But when we're raptured, the Holy Spirit and His work is removed. It's done. It's over. Don't wait to tell someone why God loves them. Don't wait. Today is the day of salvation. An invitation. The love of God is still in the world and available for everyone to experience, even the Christian. But this world can only experience the love of God by going to the place the love of God is displayed. They have to go to the cross. See, people say, well, God's a God of love. He certainly is. But if you really want to experience the love of God, you're going to have to go where he sent his son to die on the cross. You're going to have to understand why Jesus died on that cross. And you have to repent. You say, well, does God love me? Yes, he does. Go to John 3.16 and find out how much God loves you. You have to go to the cross to find out why was he there. Because you're a dirty, rotten sinner. That's why. But he loves you. That's where they throw up their hands and say, forget that. <laughs> Where's the love of God in this corporate world? It's the same place it's always been. With all the sorrow and sickness and death in the world. It's the same place. God's love is right where it's always been. You can experience it at the cross. You have to go to where Jesus died and showed you how much he loves you. But people simply won't humble themselves and admit that they're lost, blind, sinful human beings. Well, let me just say, this is not God's fault. The offer is still there. The offer is still extended even in this service. <laughs> We're either all saved or there's some here that just aren't saved. And you know it. If you refuse today, remember the offer may never always be available. The door's going to shut just like it did on the ark. And it's done. What are you waiting for? Today is the day of salvation. Let's pray.